There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Well, this is going to be really fun. Uh, we're chatting with Sean Christie, who is a neurosurgeon uh, and a professor and the vice chair and director of research at the Division of Neurosurgery at Dalhousie University. And um, I, the, way, the way I came across uh, <clears throat> setting up this conversation, I was hanging out at a Christmas party. I was at a mummer's party, having a few drinks, being a little silly, acting like a noof. And, uh, and I was hanging out with my buddy, Jay. Yeah, that's not, the, people, some people don't like that, Jay. Uh, my dad doesn't mind being called new. Okay. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, and I'm one too. So, I, you know, I can say, uh, so I was hanging out with my buddy, Jay and Jay is also a, a young neurosurgeon. He's about, he's about my age. And, uh, we were having a lovely chat about a colleague of his who happens to be Dr. Sean Christie. And, um, one of the things that Jay had told me was that Dr. Christie is, uh, really making moves in the world of surgery, the world of neurosurgery, to try to make the OR a more eco-friendly space. And that then led to us discussing this art piece uh, that this woman made right. that we covered on the show a few weeks ago. It was really <clears throat> something. like Mind-blowing. Really, really, yeah. really put into perspective. And, and for people who didn't see it, it was on our Feel Good Friday episode, and we basically, it was, it was a woman laying in like a cathedral mm. on the floor encircled by hundreds and hundreds of pieces and articles of, of medical equipment that were actually used to... Um, in disposable her, medical equipment. Disposable medical equipment that was, was used in her surgery to, uh, to take care of a... Um, I, th- I believe she had breast cancer. It was like those videos that you see of the solar system where it starts at planet Earth yes. and it zooms out and like it just keeps getting bigger yes. and bigger and more and more mm-hmm. and to the, to the point where you're like, Wow. wow. This yes. is remarkable. And this was this was one of the things that we watched that made us realize, holy shit, there is an incredible amount of waste that goes into a single operation, a single surgery. And uh and so I was I <clears throat> I felt um I felt like it would be a great opportunity for us to sit down and have a chat with uh Sean about the work that he does. Um, and to talk about surgery, talk about, you know, making ORs a more green space. So Sean, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your schedule to sit with us and be on the show today. Uh, give yourself yeah. a, a little introduction. Let us, our listeners know who who is Sean Christie. Yeah, no, uh, uh, thanks for having me. That's great, and and that uh, that story you mentioned is one that resonates because uh, you know, although I, I wasn't present in that particular case, it's it's something that's uh, uh, kind of relived on a day to day basis or multiple times a day. Right? You would. You'd be shocked um, the amount of waste and garbage that's produced in an OR, right? So a single OR will produce in a day what the typical household in Canada produces in a week, right? Wow! And um, just for for context, at the at the infirmary here, you know, we have you know, depending on the day, up to eighteen or nineteen ORs running, and then there's the VG, and then there's Dartmouth General, and all the rest of it, and that's just one one city, right? So. So there's a huge, huge amount of waste. And and I think, you know, 
all of that, uh, you know, we can't erase all of that. I think some of it's necessary, yeah. but I think what what we're trying to look at and advocate for is to to have people just think a little more critically about uh, how we do things and can we do things that are a little bit more environmentally friendly, right? We all we all do these things at home, right? We we tend to recycle our milk containers instead of throwing them in the garbage. So why isn't there things that we can do around the hospital? So that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what we're trying to do is just to, to look at things a bit more critically. Sean, I'm I'm curious, like how quickly you realized um, realized how much waste there was in the OR because I think of it like. Um, like working in 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 food and beverage or like catering. I used to work at the World Trade Center when I was like sixteen, and the get I remember paid center. The get paid center we used to call it, and uh, and we would do like a a dinner or a, a lunch, and there would be like a buffet meal, and then they would take the food in the back afterwards, all the stuff that was left over, and then just dump it into the garbage. So it was wow. so and it was much. so. I mean, this still happens in kitchens yeah. oh, all yeah. uh, like all around the world. And it struck me like instantly I realized I was like, whoa, there's so much waste going on here. How quickly did you realize in the OR that this was happening? Was this something you realized like immediately? Um, so I guess it, it, I'm not exactly sure how to answer that. So, I, you know, I've been doing this for 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 a few years um, and uh, the, the waste has changed over time. So. I mean, there are some things that, for instance, when I started, um, the OR gowns that we would use would be laundered and sterilized and we'd use them again. And then there was a transition to just throwing everything away, right? And have everything as disposables. Um, So the fact that you can physically see the garbage is, is not, you know, that's been going on for a while. Um, but then there's the kind of aha moment when you say, wait a minute, what is going on? Like, why do we need to do this? And, 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 you know, some of it I think is uh, very easily managed. Um, and I think as surgeons, we can impact a lot. Uh, and the example I would give is there's something that you might use once every 10 cases, but if you're the kind of person that says, I want it available immediately, and then it gets thrown away 19 times, right? So just being a little more patient in certain things, knowing what you're going to use, ask for things appropriately, that's an easy fix at the surgeon level. But then there's the bigger issues with the uh, the reusable um, reusable equipment, reusable gowns and things like that, um, that it's a bit more of a system level that has to, that you have to work on. Um, but in terms of, you know, was there an aha moment? Uh, lots of people ask that, and uh, it's kind of hard to quantify. I think things build up over time. But if I had to, if I had to come as close as possible to to when I really started to pay more attention to this, was probably a few years back when uh, a couple of my kids were in high school and they were doing these Friday. Friday protests, and as a father, I felt uh, <laughs> responsible to tell them that they were wasting their time and they should be in school instead of protesting on the environment. And then, uh, fortunately, I, I I think I had enough 
common sense to actually listen to them and start to think about what they were really trying to achieve hmm. and then say, yeah, you know, we got to kick in and try to do something about this. Yeah. Um, well, um, that would have been kind of the uh, aha moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things, what are some of the, you mentioned, you mentioned like, um, like gowns and scrubs and things like that, or that, that, that used to get laundered and now they get thrown away. Like what, what are some of the things that are, what are some of the things in the, in the OR or, or, or maybe in the hospital more broadly that like, that get thrown out that you look at and go like, why are we, why are we throwing that out? You know, we, we could, that, that has more of a lifespan than just one time usage. And I'm assuming that obviously there are things that need to get thrown away for like whatever health purposes things, some things need to yeah. need to be thrown away. Like what are some of the things that, that don't, or, or what are the things, some of the things that do and don't? Yeah. So I, I think that you make a really good point there is that when, when we're talking or trying to advocate for these sorts of changes, we're not, advocating full stop don't throw anything away right I, I think that there is an element that um there are certain things that you just don't reuse mm -hmm. uh, I'm not gonna use the same gloves that i used on another case unless the technology changes but but what we're advocating for is for people to yeah to look critically at what we do and can we use less uh, and can we use things that are, are renewable? So, so some of the things, um, and, and this is, you know, different areas or different parts of the world are much more advanced. Mm. And we can maybe we can talk about that a little bit more later. But um, so when I, I give examples here that I'm not suggesting that nobody has figured these things out and nobody's doing it, but these are the things that we're trying <laughs> to change here. Uh, so we, we mentioned the gowns and the, and, the, and the drapes and things like that that can be laundered um there's a huge increase in devices that are used that um come in packaging that is excessive so maybe we can improve the packaging right. and that's not an issue solely in medicine you see the same thing in the grocery stores or wherever else um but everything seems to be layered at a higher level within medicine so instead of one package it's two or three um so there's that and then the equipment itself there's a bit there has been a uh, a transition towards disposables and there's probably business models business cases um <laughs> economic reasons why some of these decisions are made at different levels uh, but I think now we need to step back and, and critically look at those models and whether that's the only model that should be used and, and the impact that those models have on the planet's health and ultimately our health, I think, needs to factor into a higher, higher level than it has before. And, right. uh, but, and by that, do you, do you mean, um, do you mean something like, you know, the, uh, the the hospital or or maybe like the, a larger governmental body has like a has a uh, an agreement with like a supplier or a manufacturer and it's x amount cheaper to get this product in like a disposable form rather than like a reusable uh maybe a stronger material or something like that where it can be used and then it's cheaper for the you know it's simultaneously kind of like cheaper by the you know by the one time use thing for the for the for the purchaser and ultimately more lucrative for the for the supplier over, over time it's a repeat kind of business sort of thing so i think you're spot on i think you described you described the dilemma very well right so so 
Um, in my experience from, and I don't sit at the finance tables within the hospital, but my experience is there's a lot of year-to-year -year budgeting and there's less long-term thinking, at least historically. So if you could buy um, widget A for seven bucks instead of 10 bucks, I'm gonna buy it cheaper, right? Mm. Um, and what's a little bit, or what can get a little bit lost is the $10 version you can use five times, whereas the $7 version you use once. Mm -hmm. So it, it makes sense for the companies that sell these things. And it makes sense for the person that's crunching the numbers on an annual basis. Yeah. But it might not make sense if you amortize that over years. And it definitely doesn't make sense when you've got tons of plastic going in a landfill. It's going to last for hundreds of years. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're um, <clears throat> on a longer time scale, it's like uh, paying for like a website subscription where you have the monthly versus the annual subscription, the monthly one price looks more attractive uh, when you are or, or less less attractive in the long term, but it's an easier number to pay on an ongoing basis. So, like if you if your subscription is fifteen dollars a month, that's great. It could be ten dollars a month if you paid a lump sum for one year, but it's so hard to pay that like two hundred dollars up front that you're like that's just way too much money. I don't want to pay that, so I'd rather pay the <laughs> monthly subscription except in the hospital situation there's a bunch of product going in the landfill yeah, because well, of that i mean the old, adage, the old adage is you buy cheap you buy twice right, right yeah yeah that's a much more eloquent mm. way to put it <laughs> yeah. I, what about uh, what about like you know so it makes sense to hear things like uh you know the scrubs being used that can be that can be washed or um you know like like thinking about the packaging of things um, and, and reducing, you know, reducing the amount of things that go into packages or, you know, pre-packs or whatever. Um, but what about like, what about greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions? Um, yeah. You know, like, like I'm, I'm imagining that there's like a lot of, uh, you know, like anesthetic gases, things like that, that are, that are, that have to be used in surgeries, but like <clears throat> are adding to like the greenhouse gas emission problem. Um, are there things yeah. like that that have to be considered when thinking about this kind of thing? Yeah, so 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 that's a really good point because you know the examples that we've talked about thus far are are kind of some of the some of the the things that that are in your face a little bit more and um, are, are a bit more topical and the, and the waste and stuff are the focus of of green teams and people trying to improve recycling and all those sorts of things uh, and that's important. I don't want to. Uh, to 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 reduce the importance of those sorts of things but it's it's probably also missing a little bit of the big picture and there's a lot more that goes in behind the scenes uh, that can be worked on at a greater at a higher level um, to address some of the things that you just mentioned so so for instance um you know there there's a medical journal that you've probably heard of <laughs> called the lancet and they've been very mm -hmm. um active over the last decade or so um, with uh, scorecards and looking at planetary health and the impact of healthcare and things like that. And, you know, they, they have metrics that they calculate the, uh, the per capita uh, amount of greenhouse gas emissions that are attributable to healthcare. And how does Canada do? Any guesses? 
poorly. Probably shitty. Probably yeah. really poorly. <laughs> <laughs> we saw we we did. Well, you we put did. it more eloquently than I. <laughs> <laughs> um, but w- when they do this, we rank either uh, second or third, uh, with the U.S. being the worst. So it's usually the U.S. Then Japan, Canada are very very tight back and forth. Um, so it's not it's not a good position. So. People can say things like, well, you know, we live in a northern climate, we have to heat buildings, blah, blah, blah. But there are other countries like Scandinavia that that don't um, <laughs> seem to have the same issues or not to the same extent. And, uh, and in particular, um, in the UK, the National Health Services or the NHS, they've committed to having their healthcare system um, net zero. Um, by 2040, I think, or something like that. So they're making big changes. And it's more than just uh, reusing gowns or recycling the packaging. It's really kind of rethinking the the whole supply chain, thinking what they're using. Um, There's, there's different medications that, uh, that you you alluded to, like with the anesthetic gases, right? So the, the big, um, example or the big comparator that's used is there's a there's a, a medicate an anesthetic gas called desflurane that has advantages to use it clinically and people say hey it's a little bit easier people wake up more fast and all this kind of stuff so there's some advantages to using it um but for instance there's a there's a stat so if you take if you take an operation that lasts an hour and you use an anesthetic gas called sevoflurane, which is kind of a cousin, does the same thing, but not quite as fancy. Um, that would be the same amount of greenhouse gases as about a 50-kilometer car ride. Wow. If you use the same operation, but you use desflurane for an hour, the greenhouse gas emissions attributed to that is like 370 kilometers wow. per so the cost benefit, Obviously not cost benefit easy, but whatever, you know, um, like the, the cost benefit is like the, the, the cost benefit analysis of, of using the one that has the greater gas emissions is like, it's just not really there. Like the, 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 the benefit, the benefit of waking up a little bit sooner or whatever the benefits <laughs> might be, like, you just don't really see those as being as outweighing the impact that it ultimately ends up having on you know, environmental issues. Yes. So I think you bring up a really good point there is, is we have to change how we think about cost benefit and cost benefit doesn't have to be just cost of the device or the drug and benefit to the person that's receiving that, but it's also what's the cost to the planet and what's the benefit to the planet. So you really need to think about it as cost over environmental impact plus benefit to patients to start to factor in all these three different aspects, right? It's not just uh, a one clinical encounter cost benefit. It's a bigger picture that has to start to be looked at. Mm -hmm. So for in our hospital, for instance, uh, um, it's very difficult now, if not impossible to use the desflurane because they, because we've, you know, our, my anesthesia colleagues have said, well, we, we just need, it's not worth it to the planet to, to use this, for the benefit that you get in certain select cases, maybe that's different because there's a huge benefit to a very small select number of patients, but routinely not happen.
how hard is it to to make that change? Like when the anesthesiologists um, choose the the other drug to the desflurane, like is that a decision that the anesthetist is making, or is that is that like does this have to be a procedural change that happens in the hospital? Yeah, so so decisions can be made. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side note by ASAP Science, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, on both those levels. So, uh, for an anesthesia, uh, any particular anesthesiologist for a case um, can choose different ways to manage that anesthetic and choose different drugs based on their experience and what they, what they find um, works best for them. But there can be things and decisions that are made at a higher level that. Um, limit the availability of certain drugs. So for instance, there's, it's very common that people come into hospital and the medication that they always take at home, uh, we switch it to a different medication that's quote unquote on the formulary here. So the hospital can say, well, we're going to have these. And most of the time, it just means there's five or six different medications that all pretty much do the same thing. It's easier just to have one. Um, but you know, the hospital or somebody <laughs> could say, we are not using this medication anymore because of the risk, right? Mm -hmm. um, another uh, an, another example that uh, some groups that I'm involved with are actively trying to uh, promote is, you know, for people with respiratory illness using puffers, right? So Ooh. the meter dose inhalers, which, you know, you guys may know about um, with the puffers and things, those have a huge impact on the environment. And, oh. and for people that don't, um, you know, there's some people that that particular method of distribution is critical, but for the majority of people using a dry puffer inhaler, uh, dry inhaler is, uh, gives the same amount of drug and is way less um, environmental impact. So the, so like in the NHS, they're moving towards that. Um, we're we're one of a group across the country that um, have have received funding to put together an organization which we've we've given the acronym Cascades, which has to do with promoting environmental uh, thought and uh, knowledge about the planetary health impact of healthcare um, uh, across the country. So it's 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 led out of out of um, Toronto. Uh, Fiona Miller, and then there's sites in Vancouver, uh, Halifax, and then there's a, a conglomeration across the, the country called the Canadian Coalition for Greener Healthcare. So the four of us have this grant, um, and one of the big things that they're pushing is a change in uh, in the use of meter dose inhalers um, to have a big impact. So so that's another example where you can where you can change one, it's just a choice, right? Um, yeah. We can still get the same clinical effect, but maybe it's just delivered in a different way. Dang, Do guys, you, um, that, that sucks. Cause like, cause you really I, love I just, puffer? Yeah, yeah, I, I have cystic <laughs> fibrosis and I just got, I just got switched over from, well, hey, I'll tell you this, a little bit less waste, I think maybe potentially. I mean, I don't know about greenhouse gas, but like when, when I was on my nebulizer, you know, a Ventolin Neb, 
Like I would do, you know, two of those a day plus two uh, uh, hypertonic saline nebs a day. That's a lot of plastic over the span of like a month of just like being fucking thrown out. And now, now, but then now they moved me over to the Ventolin puffer. And so I guess it's like, it's, uh, I mean, I'm not really, it's not any better, but I I got a question though. Do you think those tubes help? You know, like the tube that I'm like sucking my puffer through the, 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 the chamber. Do you think that? Reduces so, the greenhouse so, gas. So, Make this man so, feel better. So, 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 so I'll preface any of my answer saying that I'm a neurosurgeon. I don't know, I don't know anything about uh, respiratory medicine apart from, uh, yeah. Um, no, I, I think that, uh, you know, those those chambers uh, help to increase the, 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 the delivery the, of the delivery. drug. And yeah. you're not throwing the chamber away every day. No. Um, ideally, that use that for quite some time. So that's probably less of, a, of an issue as opposed to the aerosol that's in those puffers. And, and you know, it would be a question, and, I, and this is what I, I tell uh, our, our residents and our medical students and I tell uh, our patients is, you know, start i think one of the things we have to do is we have to start questioning what we do so so the challenge would be when you go to your respirologist next say you know why can't i have a dry inhaler why do yeah. i need the mdi um yeah. and if they have a really good reason then i would continue doing the mdi and if they say i don't know it's just easier or maybe this is what we always do then ask them if you can switch yeah my my question though is like when you're talking about the inhaler and like the CO2 emissions, you're not talking about like the inhaler and like the stuff that sprays out and like goes out into the atmosphere. You're talking about the, the like cost in CO2 emissions to produce that and ship it logistically. Is that what, is that what we're talking about? Like even with different medications and stuff, like what is the holistic total impact of the production and logistics of, of giving that drug out and stuff? I imagine it's like far more complex than just sort of Mm. looking at something at face value and going, Oh, that is more environmentally friendly than that. Well, it is a little like yeah. CO2 canister in it. No, I know, but like what <laughs> yeah. is like the if you yeah, followed yeah. Like, if you followed yeah, yeah. its journey from Got you. like, yeah. like what is the real to yeah. cost? Yeah. yeah, so that so a couple of interesting points there. When you say when you follow its journey from production, so that's that's something that we're actively involved in research on. That's called life cycle <laughs> assessments. So when you take the raw materials, you make something, you transport it to where it's going to be used. You use it and then you dispose of it. What is the or what is the environmental impact of all those different stages? And uh, and when you when you calculate that and you cobble that all together, um, then you can start to make comparisons. So so the drug, the salbutamol or the Ventolin or what have you, dose per dose, that's going to be the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the plastic that holds it is approximately the same. Uh, one of the big differences is the uh, um, is the, the the aerosol that delivers it as a as not a, a not a dry powder that you have to to suck in um, to deliver it in an aerosol way that it can go through the chamber and all those sorts of things and just stay in in the air. That is the thing that's the difference, and that's the thing that drives the greater uh, environmental impact of that particular method of delivery of the drug as opposed to um the alternative i mean this is like this, this is like the thing that i think most people including myself all the time kind of like miscalculate in terms of everything when they think about environmental impact is like yeah. not just the product like the shirt that you put on your back or whatever it's like if, if you take the example of like an electric car it's like you know 
yes, there is for sure a an environmental benefit to to driving an electric car, but like all those parts are made uh, a lot of metal. That metal gets mined. There's a there's a t- like the the power that's in the electric that's in the lithium ion battery is coming from a power plant that was that's probably fired by coal or whatever it is. It's like th- it's not just the end the end usage of something. It's like there's a thousand processes that have environmental impacts that eventually lead to that product being in your hands and it's and and it's i think it's what makes it a particular particularly challenging thing to tackle is that that you know when you think about a supply chain of a product i mean it's it could be it could be coming from every corner of the globe over the course of a year mm-hmm. to eventually land in your hands and with a thousand different it's processes it's like being involved. a being a vegan doesn't just mean that you're inherently environmentally and friendly because you're a vegan like well, it mean, it it's means the that decisions not, that you make within that it means that it's not zero like right. you're not it's nothing has a zero impact and we're to think, we're talking about like reduction like net reduction when from one choice to another you know like what is uh, you know like i mean just exactly in this conversation it's like it's not none of these things have are, are going from an impact to no impact it's like it's going from one impact to hopefully a lesser impact mm-hmm. and like that choice made over and over and over again with, you know, whatever, whatever product that you're using in this case, obviously medical equipment and medical um, supplies, you know, is going to make it is going to make the difference. Sean, you, you mentioned um, the NHS a, a couple of times. Um, like what are some of the really big things that they're doing right now that we can sort of look to or aspire to here that that are uh, seeming to make a big environmental difference? Yeah, I mean, I, I- think that just in general in the uk um the uh you know i, I think it was tw- it was in the fall of last year maybe um you know this is outside of the health system but you know that if, if the idea is to try to reduce your overall um environmental impact from a from a you know a country standpoint right so we have a target in canada uh everybody else has targets right we hear about this all the time um but the thing that uh, you heard is they they were some grocery chains were over there were saying, look, if you're going to package things in plastic, we're not going to buy and sell your products, right? So so they can, as grocers do that, and then the suppliers are going to respond or else they're not going to sell anything. So they're doing that as well with uh, with some of their medical equipment. Um, I mentioned the meter dose inhalers. That's one thing that they're that they're focused on, but just revamping the system. And, and there's there's a lot of things that can be done that actually provide better care as well um so for instance most of what we do in a hospital is fairly high intensity care in terms of resources and then that'll fall back in terms of environmental impact so one thing you can do is expand uh your primary health care expand your screening so that you can intervene before you get into the high-tech super expensive bad for the environment treatments right so a lot of that stuff can be done um the other thing is before we go on i just wanted to circle back uh you were making a a point there earlier in terms of um with the life cycle assessments and trying to determine how much uh things are so so we um we have uh as part of our research group uh one of my colleagues here at dow uh daniel raynham um, and then we have uh, colleagues in New Zealand, John O'Drew and Chantal Reason, who's actually in the UK, is embedded within that system doing uh, healthcare. We 
we've put together a uh, a website that anybody can go. It's open access that that reviews all of the uh, lifecycle assessments for all medical uh, equipment that's out there. Oh, cool. um, and you can start to compare things and you can see like we talked about with the anesthetics and you can see uh, like we talked about with the uh, meter dose inhalers and stuff like that. And people can go in and compare. Um, and, uh, and that I hope will continue to, uh, to grow and, uh, and, and, and be used in ways where people can start to make, make Ooh. decisions. That, What's that website? Like, um, healthcare LCA. Sean, are you are you rocking the boat, or is this something that generally people are on board for? Uh, I think that um, I think there's a lot of people that are interested in this, and I think uh, there's been a huge uptake um, just over the last couple of years. I don't know if it's if it's uh, if it's COVID, how that helped mm -hmm. or hindered. I mean, a lot of things slowed down during COVID, but a lot of people also, uh, you know used a bad situation as an opportunity to reset and maybe come out doing things better. Um, but whatever it is, over these last couple of years, timing, uh, the fact that the climate crisis is a crisis, I think there's less and less people that disagree with that. I think it's just time that everyone says, you know, we got to pull up our socks and everyone's got to do their own, their mm. own part, right? So I think it's a combination of, of things. I, I wouldn't say that, that, uh, that I, in and of myself, are rocking the boat, but we we have developed quite a team here, um, and there's a lot of people that are interested. We're changing the, um, you know, the curriculum that people are learning in medical school. People are thinking about that. There's a lot of engagement, and I think a huge amount of it is coming, uh, you know, from people that are, you know, a few a few to twenty years younger than I am that mm -hmm. are that are really driving these things for for perfectly good sense and reasons, right? Um. Sean, I would be remiss if uh, to have a um, uh, to have a, a neurosurgeon on on our show. And I'm looking at your I'm looking at a little bio here on the NS Health um, website here, and says that your research focuses on the understanding of the mechanisms of secondary injury following spinal cord injury and investigating potential treatment strategies. Um, Neuralink, what's your take? <laughs> I was going to ask that too. I want to know. <laughs> What's my take? Yeah. <laughs> are you are you getting are you getting a Neuralink installed yourself? <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know. I think we're a little. I think I'm not. I think I'm not signing up for anything just yet. But uh, I mean, and I and I say that from the perspective. I'm an early of like, adopter, and I say that from the perspective of like of as a somebody who 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 knows jack shit about about anything to do with spinal cord injuries or or, yeah. or the brain brain <laughs> spine connection yeah. and like and hearing hearing Elon Musk touting Neuralink as, you know, the first thing that it will, the first thing that they're focused on is its ability to have an impact on people who've had spinal cord injuries. Yeah. And like, you know, the whole, the whole, like make you into a, into a, you know, a super computing robot human, you know, being a hundred years down the line and yeah. like some, some more practical uses up front. So, so I've never met Elon Musk, but he does seem to talk a good talk. Mm -hmm. Um, the, uh, <laughs> So I, I actually, so Neuralink, I mean, it's just machine brain or machine nervous system interfaces, right? So basically it's it's pulling some information from somewhere and then trying to manipulate um, what still functions to achieve an outcome that you want. And you can, 
kind of brand it however else you want to brand it. But that it's not a particularly new thing. Um, mm. When I was in Chicago in 2004, um, I did have an opportunity to see uh, a device like that implanted for uh, people with uh, spinal cord injury. Um, the um, we've had some trainees here that have went away. Uh, David Bramman went away and did some work on on stuff like that in the states, and he's working down in uh, in California now. So so this stuff is a new people as as technology becomes figured out a little bit, then there'll be a whole bunch of people that brand it and use it in different ways. I think that there's there's some merit to it. I'm not sure it's, you know, um, Terminator ready just yet. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Elon but Musk is a great hype. Some, He's a great hype man. Yeah, it, it holds some promise, right? Um, but I think that uh, that some of the some of the work that's coming out of uh, out of Europe um, that's looking at closed loop um circuitry or external circuitry for spinal cord injury that's uh taking someone that um can't or has significant impairments with moving and then following that initiative and then generating a signal that stimulates the remaining nerves to to do um what normally should be done i think it's pretty cool um mm. And there's some pretty cool stuff there. We're not working on that uh, in our lab, um, but but that stuff is is pretty cool. Are you worried at the um, at the last uh, Neuralink event they demoed a robot that could come in and do brain surgery? <laughs> Are you worried that your job will be replaced by robots? I am not. <laughs> I mean, speaking of that, though, straight up, like uh, straight up, no. To that point, though. Um, uh, uh, I was looking at uh, an article here about the robotic arm that helped with the spinal surgery for the first time in Canada. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, it is. And, you, and you, you got to take part in that. Am, am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. I got to drive that. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, how, like how does that, um, I guess, you know, I can sit here and think about how um, robotics could play a really vital role in in surgery, um, especially with something like spinal cord surgery, which I'm assuming is like very, you know, needs to be very precise. And, uh, and, you know, as most of us know, like robotics can be extraordinarily, extraordinarily precise, you know, down to like a, a nanometer. Um, what, like, what kind of, um, what kind of aid do you get from using a robotic arm to, you know, provide surgery to someone on their spinal cord? Yeah. So just, a. a uh, just a couple of points of clarification. So right now, the uh, the robotics that we're using is called the the Mazor. Um, it it's not for spinal cord uh, work. Mm. We're doing uh, spinal work, so the spinal cord runs through the <laughs> spine. Um, but you know the precision still needs to be there. What the robotic arm does um, is a, is a couple of things. If we if we if somebody has a problem, um, they have a you know, a, a bad curvature or a malalignment of their spine, or you have to kind of provide some stabilization or fixation, then what you can do is you can look at a, a CAT scan or an MRI scan. You can say, well, I'm going to do this, this, and that, and try to lock things together. And you can do a pretty good job, um, and people do pretty good. But then what happens over time is that um, what we do 
by changing the normal physiology changes the way that uh, that the body reacts or the body moves next to the work that we did. Mm. And then uh, that can lead to accelerated wearing out of that. So what the robotic arm does is allows us to be a little bit more um, exact in terms of planning out what we want to do and then be a whole lot more exact in terms of uh, executing or delivering um, what we call the construct or the rods and screws that go in. So to try to mitigate and reduce that that secondary problem. Where is it going to go? I think it's going to go where you where you're alluding to into um, nano or sub nanometer mm. uh, manipulation and finer work. Um, th this probably predates you guys. When I was growing up, there was a video game named Pong that yeah. everyone thought was super cool. Um, we're familiar. I think it runs on yeah. this machine behind us here, actually. Yeah. Um, nowadays, I don't think people would think too much of it when they uh, can look at what's what's done now. Um, so I think we're we're you know I'm not I'm not saying that the robot we're using is is the equivalent of Pong, but I'm saying there's a long way that's going to go. Yeah. And I think we're going to see leaps and bounds of advancements uh, uh, over the next you know five years. Does yeah. does driving a robot arm like that? Uh, uh, look really good on a resume to um control the canada arm as an astronaut like a future astronaut like are those okay. are those is they that in need, your they do need physicians ambitions <laughs> is this a career path for you or <laughs> is it for you rocket science thing <laughs> easy path easy path uh sean uh this has been this has been a real treat man to be able to sit down and talk to you really interesting stuff and um and we're yeah we're big fans of your work. It's it's nice to sit down and speak to a uh, a a physician who is who's out there trying to make a difference in the world. Um, at just you know not not just within the world of medicine, but uh, but for the for the greater good of the planet. So and thank especially when like <clears throat> the like what you got to do just in terms of like helping people that you're you know yeah. doing surgery on is like so all encompassing. Like it, there's so much to that to to also to also like think outside that 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 bubble and yeah. to think about things like how you know we can you know greenify like ORs and stuff like that like yeah it's just you're, you've already got so much on your plate to go that to go that extra step and look outside of that is really uh, very really cool. cool yeah thank you uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to sit with us yeah it's been great uh, it's been great chatting with you guys and uh, and thanks for the opportunity thank you. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even Better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. 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 Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.